Well, good morning. Bring you greetings in the name of Jesus this morning. It's a uh, privilege to be here. It wasn't uh, necessarily planned for me to be here this morning. I was looking forward to sitting where you are and hearing Brother Dan preach. But, um, you know, when a brother has need, uh, you shouldn't shut up your bowels of compassion, but uh, you should help out where we're needed. So, uh, thankful to be here. Uh, it's, it's good to be here as a family, to visit again, enjoy coming back here and uh, visiting with family. I thought maybe we would have a nice, warm uh, New Year's, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, but as we were sitting at the breakfast table this morning, my father-in-law checked the weather for our home in Hampton, Connecticut, which is north of here quite a ways. It was warmer there than here, so uh, maybe tomorrow we'll head back to the balmy north. So we'll see what happens. But uh, anyway... So it's a, a privilege uh, to be here and to share with you uh, this morning. The title of the message is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, some of you might be in, in this frame of mind, December 25th is past. Um, I'm ready to move on from Christmas. I'm ready for the new year and the challenges setting goals for the next year. Um, I, not so fast with that, because Christmas is not just a December thing, it is an all-life, all-encompassing thing in our lives. And so, Emmanuel, God with us. And my question for you with that this morning is, is that nostalgia for you, or is it a reality, a reality of life? Because when I, this time of the year, we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and, and we were pretty close to it this morning in the songbook. I thought maybe we would sing it, but we didn't go there. But we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and the word Emmanuel is, often brings memories of Christmas, at least it does for me. Um, usually, Christmas time is when we talk about Emmanuel, about God being with us. And in some ways, it can be nostalgic in nature. And especially for myself, I've grown up in a good home. I have a good, uh, when when I think about Christmas, it brings back good memories. And it doesn't for everybody. Not everybody's in those those shoes, and and that's okay. But for me, sometimes it can almost be nostalgic in nature. But I guess my question for you this morning, when you think about Emmanuel and God with us, is this reality in your life or is it just nostalgia? Does it cause wonder in your heart that your creator wants to be with you and to dwell with you? He's not just somewhere out there um, and, and uh, watching you from a distance, but he wants to be with you. He wants to dwell uh, it, with you. In 1944, it was towards the end of World War II. Uh, Dietrich Ritschel, he's a German theologian, uh, his city was bombed and thousands of people were killed. After the bombing stopped, Dietrich was lying on a bench in the railroad station that was serving as a makeshift hospital. Looking up through the partially destroyed roof as the fires were burning all over the destroyed city, he caught a glimpse of the inscription carved into one of the remaining sections of the ceiling. It read, Beyond the stars there must live a gracious father. Beyond the stars there must live a gracious father. Lying there looking at that inscription, he thought, I do not want such a God. I do not want a God who is beyond the stars. I want a God who is here. I want a God who is present, a God who is available, a God who knows and understands my situation. 
Now, who is God to you this morning? Is he the God beyond the stars that doesn't care for you? Or is he the God that dwells with you? We sing the song, There is Beyond the Azure Blue. And I love the song. It's a good song. Um, I think we should sing it. Um, God is big and it is good for us to remember the greatness of God. But even, maybe not even more than that, but in the midst of that, in God and his greatness, he also wants to have that personal relationship with his people. He wants to be with his people. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read the Christmas story from Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, we'll read verses 18 through 25. Now, we could include uh, the whole chapter, maybe we should, I'm not planning to this morning, uh, in light of the, the Sunday school that we read, there's some, there's some interesting characters here in the beginning of chapter 1. Um, but I think we'll, we'll focus on verses 18 through 25 here, and especially uh, verse 23. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now we could, we could uh, look at the different aspects of the Christmas story here, and the different things that happened. You meditated that, on that maybe this last week. But I'd like to focus on uh, the name that is given here. Um, you know, the name Emmanuel in verse 23. We also have the name Jesus in verse 21, for he shall save uh, his people from their sins. But focusing especially on the name Emmanuel here in verse 23. You know, the names of God help to define who God is and help us to understand the characteristics of God. And this is one of them here. Emmanuel just simply means God with us or with us God. It's not real complicated. You know, we can argue about definitions of words. Um, we, can, we can look at different ways uh, that words are defined today. But it's, this one's pretty simple. Emmanuel means God with us. See, the Jewish people at this point had just come through a dark period. A, a time when there wasn't a lot of revelation from God. And so when Zacharias uh, gets the message from the angel uh, in the temple, and then we have Mary and Joseph hearing uh, from, from uh, the angels as well, this was, this was a good thing. Um, they, were, they were hearing uh, from, from God again. Now, Emmanuel 
God being with us. God had not forgotten about his people in those 400 years. The the birth of Christ did not usher in an era of God wanting to be with his people. This was not a new concept um, with uh, with the Jewish people. This this did not usher in a new era. Um, God wanting to be with his people is through the scriptures. God loves his people. God wants to dwell with his people. He cares about his people. And so what I'd like to do here this morning in our short time together is just simply not look through the lineage of, uh, you know, the lineage of Matthew chapter 1. But what I would look like to, to follow is the thread of God wanting to dwell with his people, the history of God dwelling with his people in uh, the word. So going to Genesis right from the beginning, um, and we'll just read one verse here. I know we're jumping into the middle of Genesis 3 and verse 8, and maybe we should look at the context, but for sake of time, we won't do that here this morning. But this is in Genesis 3, as, um, as uh, right after Eve uh, took of the fruit of the tree and she gave it to Adam. And we see in verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Why was God walking in the garden? He had the heavens to look at. He had all kinds of things to go look at. Why was he walking in the garden in the cool of the day? He was looking for his people. Okay? Um, It says, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. God wanted to interact with Adam and Eve. God loved his people. And so he was, he was, it almost seems here like he, this was a, a normal practice for him to come down and walk in the garden in the cool of the day and to communicate with his people, with his creation. Now, we know um, as we follow this chapter that things didn't stay that way because of sin. Um, the, the relationship between God and man was not the same. The relationship, in a sense, was broken because of sin. The relationship was marred when sin entered the picture. However, it did not end God's love for his people. God still loved his people even uh, though they sinned and they walked away from him. And so we have uh, Adam and Eve going out of the garden, and there's a lot of things that happen. You have uh, Noah, and we have uh, um, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And then uh, I'd like to turn over to Leviticus chapter 26. Um, as, as, uh, secondly, so first of all, we had in the Garden of Eden, we had God dwelling with his people. And then uh, here in Leviticus, we have it as well. And this finds the children of Israel in the middle of the desert. Um, they had left Egypt behind, and now they're in the middle of the desert um, in their wanderings. And we have in Leviticus chapter 26, we have this. Ye shall make no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image. Neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield her fruit. And he goes on to pronounce different blessings there in verses 5 through 8. Let's pick up in verse 9. 
For I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. And ye shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen, and I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. And so here we find the children of Israel in the desert, um, and God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be with them and to dwell with them. See, the tabernacle, in a sense, was a way for God to reconcile or for man to reconcile um, in his relationship with God. That was the purpose of it. It, it, it was a way of, of bringing reconciliation to what happened in the Garden of Eden and in the sin that happened there. The tabernacle was a way to reconcile that relationship with God and man. It was a foreshadow of what Jesus was going to do when Jesus came um, in, in the form of Emmanuel, in the form of God being with us. Now, it was when, when God sent Jesus to earth, it wasn't because the sacrificial system had failed. Jesus was not a second plan. You know, it wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't because the, the, um, the tabernacle had failed. No, this was the plan all along, was to send Jesus to die, to redeem us, and to redeem mankind. And so we have here in verse 11, um, well, in, in, at the beginning of the chapter, God is telling them, don't, don't substitute, don't make substitutes for me. Don't, don't do that, but rather walk in my ways. And then in verse 11, I will set my tabernacle, or I will set my dwelling place among you, and my soul should not abhor you. Now, there's some conditions in verses 14 and on for that. See, God wanted to dwell with the Israelites, but they ended up rejecting him. In a sense, God put his tabernacle among them, and the children of Israel, they gave him an eviction notice. You know, sometimes people do that when they don't pay their rent. Um, you know, there's conditions to this stuff. And uh, in a sense, the children of Israel evicted God in, in some ways. So we had the history of God's dwelling with his people in the Garden of Eden, in the desert with the children of Israel. Thirdly, I'd like to look just briefly in the prophetic scriptures for the future. And so we have, as we, as we go through history, thinking about what happened, we have the Israelites coming into the land of Canaan, and Joshua warned them about this. You're going to reject God. You're going to walk away from him. But yet they chose, yes, we're going to serve God. We're going to do this. And yet, what do they do? They rejected God, even though God was dwelling among them. We even have um, the, the picture of Hosea. The book of Hosea talks about um, God told the prophet Hosea, go marry a prostitute because this is going to be an example of me and my relationship with my people. And so um, God uses the image of or Hosea used the image of Israel being like a prostitute who keeps running away from her husband to go after cheap love and acceptance. And that's the way God's people were. They would keep running after things, kind of like um, you know, chasing rabbits. Some dogs like to chase rabbits. You know, the, the Israelites just kept running after uh, different things. They wanted to go after other things instead of, having, uh, instead of worshiping God and dwelling with them. So note what uh, Ezekiel, uh, we'll read a couple of verses from Ezekiel chapter 43. 
um, in thinking about the prophetic scriptures about God dwelling with his people. Ezekiel 43 and verse 7. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile, neither they nor their kings by their wardom nor by the carcasses of their kings in their high places, in their setting of their threshold by my thresholds and their posts by my posts and the wall between me and them, they have even defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed. Wherefore, I've consumed them in my anger. And that's what I was just talking about. The Israelites kept turning away, kept, kept going away, kept uh, defiling themselves. Now, verse 9. Now let them put away their wardom and the carcasses of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in the midst of them forever. So even though Israel had fallen into sin, even though they were into abominations and I don't know, all kinds of things, um, yet God wanted to dwell with his people. He loved them. He cared for them. And I think he does the same for you. I don't know what, what you've been involved with in your life, but God wants to dwell with you. A couple of verses from Zechariah, if you can find it. Um, Zechariah comes after Haggai, but Zechariah chapter 2 in verse 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. It's prophetic. It's, it's prophesying in the future. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And uh, going over to chapter 8 and verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Going down to verse 8. And I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. This is Emmanuel, God with us. God loves his people. He wants to dwell with them. He wants to dwell with you. All right, so we've been going through the Old Testament. We were in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we were in the, uh, in the wilderness with the Israelites. Now we were looking in the, in the prophecies. This is, this is going to happen. And so fourthly, we have Emmanuel in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we could go back to Matthew 1 um, and, and look at the verse there, but we already looked at that. Um, it's interesting uh, how the, the different gospel writers write about the Christmas story. Uh, Matthew, he comes at it from kind of a Jewish angle. Um, I think it's Mark. He pretty much doesn't cover it. it it's just not much... There's not much there. Um, Luke, on the other hand, he goes into great detail looking at the humanity of Christ. And then we have John. And I'd like to look at just one verse from John this morning. And we could spend a lot of time here in John chapter 1. Um, and John, he, he approaches it more from, well, he wanted people to know that Jesus was the Son of God. He approaches it more maybe from a theological perspective. But we have the verse in John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So here we have the Word becoming flesh. Now, this time, uh, God got personal. It wasn't in symbols like the tabernacle. It wasn't in a big cloud of glory that came down and rested on the tabernacle or in the temple um, in the Old Testament. But this time, God, uh, in a sense, put on flesh and bones. It was God with flesh on. And there's a whole, whole story, I mean, a whole study about the divinity of Christ. And I would encourage you to look at that. Why did it take three or four hundred years for the church to come up with a statement on the divinity of Christ? What was up with that? Well, the reason, part of the reason was because it seems like it was assumed at the beginning. And then they had teachers that started teaching otherwise. And so the church was kind of reactionary in that. And so it just took a while um, for definite, um, what do we call them today? Statement of faith, I think is the word we use today. Those things matter. Okay? I I know we probably don't uh, read them very often. But it matters. Here, God became flesh. It was God with skin on, in a sense. God chose to bring His Son into the world to redeem the world, not by a glorious royal entry, but through the humble entrance of what seems to be a peasant woman's womb as a stepson of the carpenter Joseph. Now, if you would have sent a Redeemer, if you would have been God, and you would have looked at the picture and said, hey, I'm going I'm to send my Son into the world, how would you have done it? Would you have sent Him like this? You know, it's not really how we think about it. Um, I've heard somebody say, you know, when God uh, sent, or when when God sends his son back the second time, I hope he doesn't do it like he did the first time. He hopes he makes it a little more clear. I I don't know about this. I think this is a pretty good way, because there was the thing of the cloud of glory in the Old Testament, and still the people didn't listen. They still fell away. And yet, um, so now... God sends His Son in the form of the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Some have said that our God is a humble God. Is that true? I don't know. You can think about that one. Is our God really a humble God? Um, there's, there's a sense where... I think there's a sense where that's true. God with skin on. i got a quote here from... Philip Yancey, in his book, The Question That Never Goes Away, and thinking about pain and suffering and and God coming in the Word being made flesh. For whatever reason, God has chosen to respond to the human predicament, not by waving a magic wand to make evil and suffering disappear, but by absorbing it in person. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, wrote John in the prologue to his gospel. In the face of suffering... Words do not suffice. We need something more. The Word made flesh. Actual living proof that God has not abandoned us. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, only a suffering God can help. Yes, God is a God beyond the stars. But He's more than that. He was willing to be God with us in the form of Emmanuel, in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. A few verses from Hebrews. I've been meditating on these verses the last couple of weeks, and, and especially in thinking about this thing of, of Emmanuel, of God being with us. God, um, 
God with us in that, in that we have an empathetic high priest who knows our weakness. We have a savior. We have a God who cares about how we feel and about what's going on within us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need." Those are some precious verses as we think about Jesus coming in the flesh, the word being made flesh, and then he dies, he suffers and dies. And that concept is is one that's foreign to to different religions in our world today. But we have a high priest who suffered. Um, He went through suffering. He knows some of what goes on. He knows a lot about uh, everything. Um, But he cannot be touched with the feeling of our... We have a high priest... We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. It's not like we have this high priest that's up on a pedestal or a pope that's up on a throne or or something like that that can't be touched with our struggles, but he cares. And because of that, we can come boldly uh, to him. Now, as I mentioned before, different religions have different ways to respond to this suffering. Buddhism admits that life is suffering and gives us ways to deal with it, um, gives us ways to, to work with it. Muslims see suffering as the will of Allah. This is just what happened. Um, you're going to have to deal with it, and you work through it the best you can. I remember um, December 26th, 2004. That was uh, just... Uh, what is that, 19 years ago, there was a large tsunami over in, uh, I think it was in the Indian Ocean or somewhere over there, and as that tsunami came on shore um, in Indonesia and the surrounding countries, it killed about 230,000 people. There's no way to really get a firm count on that because of the amount of of people that died, but it devastated the uh, coastal areas. I remember that when I, when I first heard about that, um, it was a, a pivotal event at the time. Uh, a number of months later, I had the opportunity to travel to Indonesia with uh, Christian Aid, was, had a base there for some time, and um, helped uh, rebuild some houses and things like that. Um, what was fascinating uh, in, in that is the organizations that were there helping uh, with the rebuilding and, and the disaster that happened, they weren't Muslim organizations. Um, even though Indonesia is a predominantly Muslim nation, I think it might be 98% or something like that, that's not who was helping. Most of the aid was coming from Christian organizations or foreign governments that were trying to help out. And part of the reason, we were told, is because the, in the Muslim religion, this was just the will of Allah. And the suffering that happened was just, it was just, it was Allah's will. And so... The, you just got to deal with it, and you got to put up with it. The Islamic religion says that suffering is the will of God. Hinduism goes even further to say that we deserve the suffering due to karma from past life. And if you live an evil, evil life now, it's going to affect your future life. You'll be born as a dog or a hog or a, um, an outcast of some sort. And so um, 
in the Christian experience, in my experience, our God was willing to enter the suffering with us and to redeem through suffering. God was willing to put on flesh. He was, putting, he was willing to put on skin, in a sense. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, For through him we both, both Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit unto the Father. It's through the word becoming flesh. He came to redeem us. And redemption always costs something. If you want to redeem a slave, it's going to cost you money to buy them back. If you want to redeem a situation, it might cost you reputation. It's going to take something from you. To redeem humanity, it costs a life. And that was the life of our Emmanuel, God with us. Even John 3.16 talks about that. For God so loved the world that he was willing, that he sent his only begotten son. God loves you so much. He wants to live with you so badly. He was willing to give his own son in the form of Emmanuel. All right, so we've come through the garden, the desert, the prophetic scriptures, the birth of Christ and Christmas. I'd like to look now just briefly at the presence of God on earth today. So in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle and God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. There was a curtain, the thick curtain that blocked out the Ark of the Covenant. You weren't supposed to touch it. The only person that could go back there was a high priest. And then there was the courts that were around it. Um, and, and so that was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see the presence of God coming in the form of Jesus. And there were some disciples around it. What about today? Where does God live today? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As we think about God dwelling in the earth today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Lord God Almighty, the Lord Almighty. Here we see you can be the temple of the living God. That's crazy, some would say, right? How can I be the temple of God? For ye are the temple of the living God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about the church as a whole being the temple of God. And so God today, God with us can be in the form of the human heart. You can be the temple of God. However, there are some conditions that come with it. And I think it's important for us to think about that. Um, As a temple of God, as my body is a temple of God, what are some conditions that come from it? When it was in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, there were some boundaries around it. You could only get so close to the presence of God. What about in your temple today? Do you have boundaries Are there some boundaries that you bump up against? 
We need to protect it. Um, in in uh, verse 17, Wherefore come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now what's he saying there? If you touch the unclean thing, what happens? It doesn't say it specifically, but it's insinuated. I will not receive you. And so God wants to dwell with his people, but there are conditions that we need to meet uh, for that. Do not touch the unclean thing. I want to look yet at one more passage um, in the future in the new heaven and earth. Revelation chapter 21. I was blessed when I found, when I came across this in my study. In thinking about, about the end of all things. What is really the point of all this? Revelation 21 and verse 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw John, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be, and he shall be my son. Amen. What a blessing. We have a God that loves us. I don't know if I should stop reading there, but that's where the nice things maybe stop for a little bit. Because verse 8 says, but the fearful and unbelieving. And it goes on down that track. There is a warning. There is a warning. And I think in all the passages that I read here this morning, it feels like maybe we were jumping around, but we're, we're tracing the thread of God dwelling with his people um, through, through history. In all these passages, there is a warning. If you don't receive him, he's not going to receive you. And that is a sobering reality of this. Verse 3. At the end of time... We have this, behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God loves you. He wants to live with you. That's, that's his desire is to dwell with his people. Sometimes in the difficult times of our life, we cry the phrase that was quoted from the book of Psalms by our Messiah, by our Emmanuel, Jesus, on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Isn't it ironic that the Son of God, the embodiment of Emmanuel, God with us, quoted this statement. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And sometimes in the difficult times of our life, we may feel that way as well. Where is God in the middle of it? 
on the practical level, sometimes we wonder. I heard of an accident after I preached this last Sunday at my home church. I heard of an accident where an 11-year-old girl was killed. Actually, it wasn't quite instantly, but several hours after the accident, she died. I wonder, where is God in the middle of this? But God cares, even in the difficult times of our lives. As we stand on the threshold of a new year today, we only have a couple hours, 12 hours or so, a little more than that left in the year. We don't know what the next year is going to bring. As we look on the world uh, scene today, we have to wonder, what is the end of all things? When will that happen? What will it look like? But even in the midst of that, I think we can have faith, we can trust that God wants to be with us. He wants to be your Emmanuel. Moses, in his final instructions to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 to 8, he said this, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord... He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee, and he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Now, I think we can claim that for ourselves today. Um, Moses was talking to Joshua, and so, say, well, I think we can claim it for ourselves. We want that for ourselves, that God will go with us. But we also have this promise in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission. He says... To go, Jesus told his followers to go and teach all nations. And then in verse 20, he says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you. Always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. God wants to be with you. He's promised to be with you if you follow him. God wants to dwell with his people. I'd like to read the words of a song yet in closing here. Um, It's by Charles B. Wyckoff, The Wonder of Wonders. Verse 1, The wonder of wonders as she looked on his face, that this little boy spoke the worlds in their place, the stars and the moon shining brightly on them, the earth and the sun were created by him. The chorus, The wonder of wonders, oh how could it be that God became flesh and was given for me? The Almighty came down and walked among men. The wonder of wonders, he died for my sin. Verse 2, the wonder of wonders as she heard his small cry, that his voice had thundered on Mount Sinai. The hand that she held so tenderly had made a dry path through the Red Sea. Verse 3, the wonder of wonders as she looked down and smiled, that he was her maker as well as her child. He created the womb that had given him birth. He was God incarnate come down to earth. The wonder of wonders, how could it be that God became flesh and was given for me. The Almighty came down and walked among men. The wonder of wonders. He died for my sin. As you reflect on your life. As you reflect on the past year. Look forward to the coming year. I hope. That you will reflect. On the blessing. Of having a God. Who wants to dwell with you. He's not just a God. That's beyond the stars. As Dietrich 
um, had, had experienced. His cry that he wants a God to be with him. God is here. He wants to be with you. He loves you. He wants to dwell with you. Let's stand for a, a prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, thank you for the blessing of Emmanuel, of God being with us. And Father, as we, um, as we meditate on that, as we think about that in the coming week, I pray that you would just impress that on our hearts again. And Father, we want to worship you. We want to live with you. And I pray that you would dwell in each one of our hearts. But we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and we'll have a closing song. Stand together for a closing prayer. 
Father, we come to you at the close of the service. Father, thank you for the time we could have together here today. And Father, as we go from here, as we look at a, a new year ahead of us, Father, we trust you. We look to you for strength, for wisdom, and we thank you that you want to dwell with us. And Father, it's our desire to dwell with you. We commit this to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.